0: Okay, um, thank you for uh, coming today to, uh, to uh, look at God's Word together. I have uh, children in the Awana program. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Awana. It's uh, a way to try to get uh, children involved with God's Word. Uh, they memorize verses, they play games, and as they move up in the ranks, if you make it all the way to uh, Journey, I believe... Um, maybe even before then, you have to read the Bible, read through the scriptures, and then you have to give a summary for each book of the Bible. And uh, this morning my daughter came to me and wanted to give me a summary of the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. So I can tell from your response that uh, most of you think, as most other people of Leviticus, somehow not being the most interesting book in the Bible, uh, and in fact, um, uh, some people who decide to read the Bible for themselves will usually get stuck in Leviticus. They'll go through uh, Genesis, Exodus, they get to the Leviticus, they just get stuck. And the reason is, it's, the book is full of uh, different sacrifices that have to be made, uh, burnt offering, sin offering, peace offering, with all the details of carving the animals into pieces, uh, all these different um, feasts of the Lord and uh, other memorials that you're expected to do. So the book has a value. I don't mean to diminish of it, but I think something we could be thankful as, as uh, God's people today is there's really only one feast, if you would, one memorial feast uh, that the Christians celebrate today. Uh, if you would, all of the Levitical Uh, offerings, we really just merge into one, and uh, we remember them during the breaking of bread, right? Just uh, one one meeting, we have it uh, in this church every Sunday uh, morning, and today we want to think about it. What does the scripture say about this feast, about, we call it the breaking of bread. Uh, Some people call it the Lord's Supper, others call it Communion. Uh, I think I've heard of the word Eucharist being used, and there's there's probably others beside. Uh, What does the scripture actually say about it, and how do we want to apply it to our lives? So with that, uh, you could turn to Matthew chapter 26, um, and we'll start reading in verse 26. Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins." But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So that's it, very simple, Uh, just a few verses. Uh, We want to think about a number of things. Uh, The timing when this was given. Uh, What were the specific instructions? What is it that Jesus said we needed to do? Um, what's the purpose of it, as much as we can determine for ourselves uh, why Jesus gave us this particular command or this particular feast. Uh, Then we want to talk about the danger of making uh, too much of it. And and that doesn't sound quite right. You can't make too much out of anything that God wants you to do. But there is an error of seeing more in the bread and in the cup than uh, the scripture says. And that's something we want to be careful of. But then there's also the danger of making too little of it. We may not appreciate it enough. Uh, we, want to, we want to consider that. Okay. So first, what's the significance of the timing? Uh, there's two things. One, we know from uh, the context that this was a Passover meal. Jesus was actually sitting down with his disciples to celebrate the Passover, and then he takes the Passover meal and he converts it, if you would, uh, into this uh, breaking of bread, right, or or into the Lord's uh, Supper. So we want to think about that. Um, What was significant about the Passover meal? Uh, First of all, that was the first feast that uh, the Israelites were supposed to celebrate. So this was the first month, the first new moon of the month sorry, first full moon, uh, they were to remember God delivering them from Egypt, right? And how did he do it? He had them take a lamb, and the lamb was slain. The blood was put on the doorpost. And by being inside, they were protected from the angel of death as he went and slew the firstborn of of uh, all of Egypt, right? So it was the first uh, feast, and... Um, in a sense, the foundational one, Israel keeps referring to it uh, in, in the future. Uh, when God will speak to the nation of Israel, he will remind them that he was the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. This was the most significant event of Israel's history. Uh, it, in a sense, defined the relationship with God. He was the God who brought them out of Egypt. He was the God who saved them. So Jesus takes that feast and he converts it into uh, the Lord's Supper. It tells us a number of things. One... Uh, This is foundational. This is a foundational feast. Uh, We remember in it the Lord's deliverance of us. Just like Israel remembered the Lord's deliverance through the Passover, we remember the Lord's deliverance of us through the Lord's Supper or the breaking of bread. And uh, last is Jesus connects himself here to the Lamb. Uh, The Lamb was slain to protect Israel from God's judgment over Egypt. Uh, Jesus was slain to protect us from God's judgment against sin, right? So the Lord really connects these two feasts together and really converts the Passover into the feast that we celebrate today. Uh, The second significant thing about the timing is this was the Lord's last meal with his disciples, right? He was going to die. Uh, In Luke, he says... In uh, chapter 22, verse 15, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So Jesus makes it very clear to them this is his last meal with them. Several times he told them he was going to die. Two days earlier he told them he was going to die on the Passover itself which started then and was going to last for the next uh, 24 hours. Uh, When I um, was young, I um, met uh, some second cousins of mine, and I was surprised because they were raised Catholic, and I'm from a Jewish background, and so it seemed surprising that I'd have Catholic cousins, and I've learned the details of it. Uh, My Second cousin once removed, or basically their father married a uh, Catholic wife, and uh, on her deathbed, the wife 's mother uh, asked her to raise her children Catholic, so she couldn't refuse her mother, asking it on her deathbed and uh, in a sense, the Lord Jesus' command here to the disciples has that additional power that He was practically on his death. This was his last command to his disciples. I'm going to die. I'm going to die for you. And this is what I want you to do for me. Right? Remember me uh, in this particular feast that I'm giving to you. It comes with that additional power of being really the last meal that Jesus had uh, with his disciples. Okay, what are the instructions? The instructions are simple. Uh, He took the bread. He broke it. And he gave it to the disciples said, Eat, this is my body. And likewise, he takes the cup, gives it to them, says, Drink from it, uh, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant. So, so there's the eating of the bread, breaking and eating, right? That's what we do here. And there's the drinking of the cup. Uh, for Once we understood a little bit more about the nature of germs, uh, we've decided to, to, instead of all drink from one cup, to have a divide into little cups. It doesn't change right, the meaning of what we're doing. So that's 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 it. That's what he tells us to do. But it's clear that the Lord Jesus wants us to understand the meaning behind it. Right? We could uh, anyone could could eat bread, anyone could could drink of the cup, but not everyone can do it with an understanding of what it is uh, that it means. And so Jesus Uh, explains that the bread is to reflect his body uh, broken or given uh, for us. What does that speak of? It speaks of the fact that um, uh, in his body he bore our sins as it says in 1 Peter 2, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose Stripes, you are healed, and so the uh, death of Jesus on the cross was a death uh, that he died to pay for our sins. Right, that's what it means that his body was broken for us. His body was was used up uh, as a vessel of judgment, God judging uh, the Lord Jesus for all the wrong things we have done. Uh, or thought, uh, uh, or, or, or spoken. All, all our sin was laid upon him, and he paid it all on the cross. And uh, he then explains uh, the purpose of the, of the cup, saying, this is my blood, of uh, the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. What does it mean that the blood of the Lord Jesus is the blood of the new covenant, I think there's a passage that could be helpful in thinking about it in um, Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, if you want to turn there, I'll go ahead and read it. Hebrews 9 and verse 18 uh, speaks of the first covenant or the old covenant, the covenant God made with the nation of Israel. He says, therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the the covenant which God has commanded you. So you have to kind of carry yourself back in time to the nation of Israel being at Mount Sinai. And God spoke from the mountain and gave them all these laws. We think of the, of the Ten Commandments, but there were additional laws besides for the Ten Commandments. And, uh, and the nation of Israel said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, right? So God gave them a law, and they've committed themselves to keeping the law, to obeying the law of God, and now God, in order to seal this covenant, to make it irrevocable, he had Moses uh, kill a, uh, calves and goats, and he took that blood, and he sprinkled the book of the law, where all of God's commandments were written, and he sprinkled the people themselves with the blood. And it was a seal. It basically showed that this agreement between them and God cannot be changed, right? It's been marked by the death of an animal. Can you give back the calves and the goats their lives? No, you cannot, right? And because of that, there is no way of escaping from this covenant. It's been sealed by blood, right? In that case, it was sealed by the blood of the goats and calves. We have a covenant with God that is sealed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Can you give the Lord Jesus his life back. Well, he rose from the dead, right? But we cannot undo his death, right? His bloodshed was a seal of the covenant. Now, in the case of the nation of Israel, the covenant was, you know, God gave a law and we're going to obey it, right? Uh, The new covenant is Jesus Christ died for your sins, right? And upon your faith, God accepts you into his family. God... uh, will give you eternal life. That's the covenant of the New Testament. Jesus did all the work. You don't have to do anything. You just have to trust in him and what he has done. And his covenant, his blood seals that covenant. It's irrevocable. God cannot go back on his promise of giving you eternal life if you believe in the Lord Jesus because Jesus died. His blood was shed. It was the covenant, right, what makes God's promise to us irrevocable. That's wonderful, we can trust in the blood. We can trust in what the Lord Jesus did for us. God cannot go back on the offer of salvation because Jesus has shed his blood for you and for me. So that is uh, the meaning, the principal meaning behind the, the, uh, the bread and the cup that we partake of. The body of the Lord Jesus was broken for us. He paid for us sins. the blood was shed as a new covenant assuring us that, that that God will receive us upon faith in the Lord Jesus. Um, Then, uh, it's not in the passage in Matthew, but it is in Luke and it is in uh, 1 Corinthians, and it kind of brings brings it together. Uh, There is instructions to do it again. So the the apostles did it once with the Lord Jesus, right? That was the first, if you would, partaking of bread, with the Lord there being in person, but he wanted us to continue doing it. 1 Corinthians 11 says, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And here's the key addition. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Right? So the Lord Jesus wants us to keep doing these things to remember him. And uh, in the uh, New Testament, the pattern is doing it every Sunday. Right? Because depending what church you go to, some of them will do it less frequently uh, than every Sunday. But uh, the, the New Testament uh, example or pattern is doing it every Sunday. So we do it uh, every Sunday as a church. And the other pattern in the New Testament is having multiple people sharing. Uh, as the Lord Jesus explained the meaning behind the bread and the cup, clearly he wants us to be thinking about it, right? He doesn't just want us to eat the bread and drink the cup. If we did just that, the meeting will take five minutes but it won't have a lot of value because the purpose is to appreciate what it is that the Lord Jesus did for us, to appreciate what the bread represents, to appreciate what the cup represents. And that's the purpose of the brother standing up and sharing about it, is to kind of, if you would, dig a little bit more into it, to try to feed, to feast uh, spiritually on what the Lord has done for us. And that's really what, the Lord wanted us to do which brings us to the purpose why did the Lord uh, give us this particular command, Uh, why do we need this memorial feast the hymnist says it this way, prone to wonder Lord I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, here's my heart or take and seal it seal it for thy courts above the author of the hymn expresses what I find in my own heart I tend to wander away from the Lord. I, I wish that every moment I would be filled uh, with love and devotion for him and desire to serve and to please him. But that's not the reality of my life. I find myself wandering, right? Like a, like a sheep that instead of following the shepherd is going down some other path. And these meetings, these weekly meetings kind of bring you back. They bring you back to the cross. Uh, that's the, the whole purpose of the... Feast that God gave in Leviticus is to keep Israel's eyes on him, his provision for them. And in that case, the provision was the sacrifices in the tabernacle and then later in the temple so that they can have fellowship with him and a relationship with him. Well, we have that in the cross. The cross is God's provision for us to have relationship and fellowship with him um, and appreciate his blessings. And so the breaking of bread is designed to bring us back weekly that place of appreciating uh, the Lord to renew us. You know, my, my in-laws don't go uh, to church. And I know other people who, who don't go to church. And some of them will say, I was just talking to Mrs. Bruton about it, something that sounds kind of spiritual. Well, you know, in the church, there's people that, you know, profess to be Christians, but You know, they're not really living the Christian life. It feels like they're a bunch of hypocrites. I don't want to be one of them. So guess what? I'm not going to go to church. (laughs) I don't know how you do it. How do you continue to walk with the Lord? How do you, you know, have love and refreshment uh, to the Lord without going to church, right? Without having this weekly opportunity to renew yourself. I don't, I don't think I could do it. If I stopped going to church, I think I would be going farther and farther from the Lord. Right? I wouldn't be uh, keeping in fellowship with Him. So I think that's the number one reason, at least to me, of, of why the Lord instituted this feast. Uh, another one that's suggested by 1 Corinthians 10, um, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, Paul says to the Corinthians, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all uh, partake of that one bread. And it speaks there to me of the impact uh, that we have an other believers. So when, when a brother comes up here and shares from his heart about his love uh, for the Lord, it impacts me. Right? It's a, it's a testimony of their uh, devotion. It, it strengthens uh, my faith in the Lord. It encourages my uh, faith in the Lord because I see how my brother uh, is trusting in the Lord And when I do, when I stand up and speak, or even if I don't stand up and speak, and I appreciate the ladies uh, uh, participating silently, uh, I am making a profession of faith in Christ, right? I am demonstrating uh, that I am trusting in what the Lord Jesus did on the cross uh, for my uh, salvation. I am partaking of him. Uh, I'm I'm trusting uh, in his provision so in a sense, it's, it's a bit like baptism, right? When you will stand up and confess your faith before the saints and anybody else uh, that comes. It's a testimony of, of the fact that you are trusting in Christ, and it's an encouragement to others to trust in the Lord as well. And so through, through the participation in the breaking of bread, we're showing our fellowship, Of trusting in the Lord Jesus, we're all showing our connection to the Lord Jesus, and therefore, our connection to each other as well, right? Because together we're all trusting in the Lord Jesus. Together we're all communing in what the Lord Jesus has given to us. I recognize uh, what the Lord Jesus did for you, and I recognize what He did for me. Uh, The the hymnist speaks of it this way: We would remember. We are one with every saint that loves thy name, united to thee on the throne, our life, our hope, our Lord, the same. So I think that's, that's an additional reason. Besides for reminding me weekly of, of the Lord's love, uh, there is a sharing with other believers that unites me to them, connects me to them. Okay. Okay. I promise we will speak about the danger of making too much of it. Um, I went to a Catholic church about a year ago uh, for a quinceanera of uh, one of Eliana's soccer teammates. It's kind of a group of friends that we have. They invited us. I thought it would be a good cultural experience. This is the only time I've ever went to a Catholic church. And, um, Part of the quinceanera service was they offered communion. I don't know why. Uh, uh, they didn't offer it to me. They were very clear, it's just for the Catholic members of the church. Um, but what impressed me, and maybe impressed is the wrong word, surprised me, was that the priests, you know, he had the cup and the bread and uh, And he did, you know, kind of movements with his hands over it, right? And he was saying something, I think in Latin probably. And, I mean, it it almost looks like, you know, a magician show, right? And what he was doing, what he believed he was doing, and the Catholic congregation believed he was doing, he was literally converting the bread and the wine into the actual body of Christ, right? So this is something Catholics believe. It's called uh, transub. Yeah. anybody knows how to say that word? Transubstantiation. Which is, it, which is the belief that the bread literally becomes the body of Christ. Right? And the, the cup that they're drinking from literally becomes the blood of the Lord Jesus. Uh, which is, they would claim right, that this is based on Jesus, right? Saying, this is my body. And this cup is uh, the new covenant in my blood, right? Or my blood of the new covenant. So they, they, would, they would claim that to back them up. But that's what they really believe. They really believe that the bread and the cup become the body of the Lord Jesus. And then secondly, uh, they believe that by partaking of it, so the actual process of eating and drinking, uh, you're actually receiving the blessing that comes from the cross, so the forgiveness of sins. Um, that we believe that once you trust the Lord Jesus to be your Savior, you completely receive forgiveness of sins for all past, present, future sins. Right? You are uh, as safe as in heaven. Right? I mean, I'm presently right now on the earth, but whenever I die, I'm going to go and be with the Lord uh, in heaven. Uh, they believe that that you, you know, receive these blessings uh, you know, as you partake of these things, right? And as a result, there's a lack of assurance that you're ever completely saved, right? And that's why I think they have this, uh, one of the sacrament is you know, basically when you die, on you know, your hour of death, we're gonna give you the bread and the cup just to make sure <laughs> we cover the last period of sin in your life, right? So, I mean, it's making, that's why he said it, you're making too much of it. That's not what the Lord meant in the breaking of bread. He didn't mean the bread becomes his body and the cup is his blood, and that by partaking of it, we actually receive forgiveness of sin. Right? That wasn't the purpose uh, of the meal. And, uh, you know, how do we know that? Um, And and the answer to that, I mean, how how do we know that this is not true? And and there's a couple of answers. Um, One is, uh, there's no scripture supporting it, you know, this idea. And I I, I never wrestled with this one, but I did wrestle with uh, something called uh, spiritual warfare. So we believe that there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. We believe that there are demonic beings, that's the Bible teaches, and they're against us. They don't want us to serve the Lord. They don't want us to follow the Lord. And they will find ways of getting us off track, right? Um, but, so what some people believe is that in order to have s- spiritual victory, uh, you have to rebuke them, right? So, you know, if something happens, you rebuke the demon, right? And. Uh, we would go around campus and we would rebuke, you know, Satan. So we could have, you know, the campus for ourselves, for the work of God. And, you know, and, and, and I wrestled with that a little bit because, well, how do I know it's wrong? You know, is that, is, that, is that what I should be doing or is it not something I should be doing? And I could understand the logic behind it because the Bible says there are, we do have spiritual enemies, right? But there are demonic forces. And what, what uh, helped me deal with that is there's no instructions in the epistles. So the epistles are really letters written by the apostles to us today. There's, like, there's no portion of the Bible that's more directed to us today than the epistles. There were specific letters written by the apostles to believers in, in our age, right? So, I mean, all of the Bible is written for a benefit. Um, you know, we don't argue with that. But parts of the Bible, like Leviticus, don't pertain to us as much as others. Right, and uh, the epistles are really what's written for us. You mean you can you can read the epistle and it's like speaking to me right now today about what I'm doing. Right, there is no instruction in the epistles to rebuke evil spirits. Right now, Jesus clearly did. You know, dealt with with uh, evil spirits and he rebuked them. But there's no instructions for us to do it. If if it was critical for me to live the victorious Christian life to go around rebuking demons. I would find instructions to do it in the epistles. I can't. He never tells us. He tells us to resist the devil, right? But it's by obeying the Lord Jesus, doing the things God tells us to do. There's plenty of good instructions in the epistles of what we should be doing. And going around rebuking evil spirits is just not one of them. Again, I'm not denying those evil spirits. I'm not denying those spiritual warfare. But I defeat them by staying close to God and doing what he tells me to do in his word. Right. So you would go to the same thing if if the body, if the bread and the blood really be sorry, the bread and the cup really became the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus, and I needed to partake of them in order to effectively live the Christian life, you would find it all over the epistles, right? There'll be instructions in every epistle, make sure you do this. And you can't. Right? I mean there's a few references to the breaking of bread. But um, never with that, right? You know, they they focus on the remembrance, right? The benefit of worshiping uh, the Lord, of communion, of sharing with other believers, not on some sort of special forgiveness and grace that comes from an actual partaking, as the Catholic Church teaches. So so that's one. Uh, The other reason um, of why... You know, you know the, this, this um, doctrine is, you know, you could kind of tell it's an error. is the way the Catholic Church was using it? It was really using it to try to dominate over countries uh, because they, they, they claimed, you know, only the church can do it, right? Only our priests can do this hocus-pocus that's turning the, the bread and the blood into sorry, the bread and the wine, the bread and the cup into the, the uh, body and blood of the Lord Jesus. And they would tell countries, if you won't do what we tell you to do, we're not going to allow our priests to, to, to make the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. And as a result, uh, your people are not going to be able to receive the grace of God and forgiveness of sins. And... Uh, and then they're going to rebel against you, right? Because they feel they need it for their salvation. And, and they, they successfully did. The Catholic Church, for a thousand years, ruled over Europe with this strategy, right? We have the power to administer forgiveness of sins uh, through the Eucharist. And, uh, and so, to me, again, that's like, you know, that's, that's not the Lord, right? That's not how the Lord acts. Okay, so that was a danger of making too much of it. There is also a danger of making uh, too little of the breaking of bread. And um, there's a couple of passages about that in 1 Corinthians. Uh, One is continuing the one I read earlier. Actually, they're both kind of in continuation. Uh, The first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And there Paul was dealing with uh, believers uh, going into, uh, into temples uh, that worshiped idols and participating in the uh, ritualistic feasts that, that were taking place in those temples. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 18, observe Israel after the flesh are not those who eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar, what am I saying then, that an idol is anything, or, that, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he And I think this goes back to the fact fact that when we're participating in the breaking of bread, we are claiming, uh, professing faith in the Lord Jesus. Um, We're communing uh, with him. And uh, if you're then going to do something like it somewhere else, right, in an idol's temple, it would be kind of like double dating. Right? you think it's okay to date you know, two men at the same time, you know, they probably don't feel the same way about it. Right? And to do that with the Lord, to say, oh yeah, I, I, I believe in you, but at the same time to be expressing your uh, commitment to something other than the Lord uh, is offensive. It's offensive to him. Um, when I uh, first became a believer around the time I was becoming a believer. I started going to church. Um, Rick was working with me, and uh, you know, since I expressed faith in the Lord Jesus, he said, well, are you ready to be baptized? And I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, you know, I haven't told my parents that I'm a Christian. Right? And uh, I'm not ready to tell them I'm going to get baptized. So I told Rick, no, I'm not ready to be baptized. He said, you know, you should probably not partake of the Lord's Supper either, right? Why? Because it showed that my allegiance was kind of split. You know, there was a lack of commitment to the Lord. And, and the example here is, well, you shouldn't be partaking of the Lord's Supper. Right? If you're not fully the Lord, don't go with the motions of being it. That's offensive to him. Right? So again, it reflects that this is more than just you know, a memorial feast. You know, we just come here, we think about it, it means nothing to God. It clearly means a lot to God that we're coming here when we're offending Him if we're doing it when we have some other allegiance. Right? The Lord is very much with us and very concerned with what we're doing when we are breaking bread together. The second is in 1 Corinthians 11. And here Paul was dealing with the inappropriate way in which the Corinthians were breaking bread together. He says, therefore, when you come together in one place, this is 1 Corinthians 11:20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And really what he means by that is, you're claiming you're eating the Lord's Supper, but you're really not. What you're doing is inconsistent with the way the Lord's want us to eat his supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others, and one is hungry, and one is drunk. So they were bringing their own food from home. So just imagine. So, you know, I have this lovely daughter here, Nesia, and she makes challah, you know, every Sunday morning, which, you know, maybe you enjoy having when you come here with us. And uh, just imagine we would bring that challah, but just for ourselves. All right? That's, that's what we're going to be breaking bread with. What are you going to be breaking bread with? And maybe you will have something that's not as nice. Maybe some of you won't have anything, right? Because, you know, you just don't have any food at home. You come here empty-handed, and as we're breaking bread, you have nothing. And I'm sitting here with my family, you know, breaking into this nice, fresh piece of challah. It's like Paul is saying, what's going on? What kind of a breaking of bread is this? When you're doing that, um, what... Verse 22, do you not have houses to eat and drink in or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And so he was rebuking them for how they were conducting it. Uh, And then moving on to verse 27, therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let the man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you you, and many sleep. And the word sleep here all the commentators agree means death. The Lord was so displeased with how the Corinthians were doing it, that he was judging them. Some of them got sick and some of them died. Right. So it just shows how serious this breaking of bread is. The Lord Jesus is aware of it. He is present. He is concerned with And he will execute judgment against people who partake of it in an unworthy manner. Doing it uh, improperly in a way that takes away uh, from his glory. Okay. Okay. Uh, in summary, uh, why, why should we uh, come here every Sunday morning to partake of, of the Lord's uh, Supper? <clears throat> number one, uh, in obeying the Lord's dying request, we show that we love him. He asked us to do it. Right? That should be a good enough reason <laughs> to come here. Okay. Even if there was no other reason, he asked us to, so we should do it. Uh, number two, uh, in remembering him, we benefit uh, by keeping the cross and all of God's blessings to us in focus. Uh, we need to remember what the Lord did for us or we will forget or we'll grow dull in our minds and we're going to find that uh, our devotion to the Lord will suffer. Right? That's, that's what will happen to me uh, if I did not come regularly. Uh, number three... Uh, By sharing him with others in communion, we are an encouragement to them and can be encouraged by them uh, in return. Uh, By coming here, uh, you are an encouragement to me. Right? Uh, If I came here and there was nobody else here, uh, I would feel alone. (laughs) I would wonder who else in this world uh, still believes in the Lord Jesus. Did I make a mistake? Did I turn the wrong way uh, somewhere? Uh, by having others other come here with me and showing that this is important to them, uh, it gives me you know, an extra encouragement in my faith. Right? I'm where the Lord wants me to be. Um, my faith in him uh, is grounded. And, uh, and then finally, uh, in worshiping him in this way, we join not only local saints, but the saints in glory as they gather around Uh, the throne. I love it. In uh, Revelation chapter 5 John opens a window for us of heaven. And uh, and what is heaven like? Uh, Revelation 5 verse 8 says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. The the center of The worship in heaven is around the lamb that was slain. Uh, They look at the Lord Jesus and there they appreciate him uh, afresh for what he has done uh, for them. And we join. When we break bread together, we're joining the saints in heaven. We're joining uh, the angels in heaven, those who are worshiping the Lord and they see the lamb that was slain and they see their the extent of God's love, the extent of God's grace, the extent of God's mercy uh, to us. And we join in with them, really with the praise and worship of the ages. This is what eternity is about, is appreciating God for, for his love for us. And we get to be part of it by coming here on Sunday morning. So good reasons to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. For us, we thank you for the Lord Jesus uh, going uh, to the cross for us. Uh, re- recognizing, Lord, that uh, we all deserve to be separated from you for all of eternity because of our sins. But there, in that, in that, uh, uh, those three hours, He experienced that separation from you that uh, uh, provided uh, for all of our sins so that we could be forgiven, we could be cleansed, we could be uh, united to you uh, in glory for all of eternity. We thank you for this simple feast that you uh, prescribed for us, Lord. We uh, thank you for its simplicity. We thank you for its pointing the Lord Jesus clearly to us so we could come and remember him uh, week by week. We pray, Lord, uh, for your people everywhere. We think of those who choose not to Uh, join in these meetings for one reason or another, that they will uh, realize afresh that this is uh, your desire for them and and it would benefit them and would benefit us uh, and uh, would would, uh, uh, propound to your glory uh, to have them here. So we pray (coughs) for you to be working in their hearts. And in ours too, Lord, refresh us week by week. Keep us close to you, we ask in your name. Amen.